we, uh, we should be able to, yeah, black screen, right? Okay. Once I get sure that it's happening behind me, I'll be, I'll be ready to go. But, you know, uh, we all know what we call the Great Commission. Uh, of course, in the Bible, it's not called, Jesus didn't come out and say, I'm going to now give you the Great Commission. So we call it the Great Commission. It's, you know, in the, some of our section headings and some of our Bible versions, it'll say the Great Commission. It'll have this section there in the last part of Matthew. But the Great Commission is not the first commission that God gave to man. And Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them a commission. He blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And God's plan for men from the beginning was for the earth to be filled with men, women, and children who worshipped him and had fellowship with him. And amazingly, he has not changed his plan. That's still God's plan, that the earth around the world, there be men, women, and children who worship him, have fellowship with him, and walk with him of all peoples and tribes and nations. Now, in the beginning, there weren't a bunch of peoples and tribes and nations, but we'll get to that, you know. But our task today is missions, taking God's word, taking the good news to every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. We have multiple tongues, multiple languages, multiple ethnicities, Ethnicities that crisscross with languages and people groups cross borders. Some have, in one large ethnic group, there can be chunks of little ethnic groups with differences in languages, regional or tribal. It's a huge task. It's a huge task. And we all know what the commission is. We go out and make disciples of all nations. And I think to me it tells us how to make these disciples in a general way. We baptize them and we teach them. We teach them to to obey God's word. We teach them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And we don't do this alone. Jesus is with us. Good thing. Sometimes we're not real good at getting it all figured out. Jesus opens the door. We take a step of faith. So God spoke to Adam and Eve and said to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. We all know what happened, that at that point they chose disobedience rather than obedience and sin entered in. And from that time, there's been a war going on in this world. And it's a war between the spiritual powers of darkness and between God, the God of light. It's a war that is going on to this day, and it's a war that the casualties are the eternal souls of men, women, and children around the world. That's what we're about. We're about rescuing and redeeming by taking the gospel to people who are lost, who are under the power of the prince of darkness who reigns over this world. That's what we're about. We all know this. The harvest is big. The harvest is plentiful. We saw in Ethiopia. Sometimes that happens. I've heard of other places where the gospel came and almost everybody believed. Sometimes there's places where the gospel comes and they kill the messenger. But whether whether it's one end or the other or anything in between, we're still commanded to go. And we still need the same thing, more workers. There's lots of harvest, always will be lots of harvest, but there's always too few workers. 
apparently. And we need to pray to God that he send more workers. We were having lunch with the elders on Thursday, and, and uh, I think it was you, Bill, that was saying that a number of the young people in the church, some of you that we know, some of you were in Honduras uh, in a mission team, are getting ready to go out as, in, in missions. Praise the Lord. But there's still too few workers. And I was, sometimes it's difficult. Uh, one of our churches, one of the people that's, that's uh, talking about, you know, that she feels like God is calling her to mission, she happens to be the church administrator. And the pastor's a little leery of letting her go. You know? <laughs> have to find somebody to fill a key, a key position. It's like, that's not his problem. That's God's problem, really. Because the Holy Spirit puts the people in the body as he wills. We don't choose... We shouldn't be us. We choose, well, let's see. I, we should be wise about things, but when the Holy Spirit takes the person who's the administrator in this church and says, I'm going to take you to missions in Africa, he already has somebody figured out who can be the administrator in that church because it's God who calls and God who gives gifts. And we need to be faith, have faith about what God is doing that if he moves someone somewhere else, he can fill the need where they, where they left also. I think he's entirely capable of that. Well, as time moved on, marching through the little story here, you know, uh, there was a flood, and at the, after the flood, Noah got off of the ark, and he was given pretty much the same blessing, command. It's, it, it's uh, to me, it's, it's not entirely clear. It says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. But he, the, when he blessed them, he gave them a command. Now, is there a blessing that's not recorded in the command? Or is, the, is doing God's will the blessing in our life? I tend to believe the latter. That when God gives us a command to go or to do something, that the blessing in our life will be found in doing his will in our life. And, and I, I think that that's what he was saying to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. God's commands are not some burden to be carried out in plotting drudgery. Well, now we've got to go and take the gospel to the whole world. Man, now we can't repave the parking lot because we'll feel guilty because we didn't give it to missions. You know? that's, not, that's not the way it is. It's like, you want to be blessed? Be about God's work. I believe that every believer in every church in every nation, every part of the world should somehow be involved in reaching others for Christ. Because if we're not, we're missing the whole point of God's plan and purpose, which is that men, women, and children be redeemed and walk with him and serve him and have fellowship with him and live forever with him. To me, that's what God's purpose is about. Well, you get up to after Noah, people were supposed to go out and fill the earth again. Well, they banded together, and we know the story of the Tower of Babel and how they were going to build this big tower, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. And at that point, up to that point, I think there was only one language, therefore one culture. Those of us who learned a language will understand that a language is, to me, minimum 60% of the culture is wrapped up in the language. When God confused the tongues at Babel, there was still one culture and a whole bunch of languages. And what happened? This was, Wycliffe wouldn't have a job if Babel hadn't happened. You know? I mean, we have to blame the people at Babel for all these problems. Otherwise, we'd all have one language, and it would be easy just to just speak like the same language everywhere in the world. But that it, Babel happened, and there's God confused the tongues, and what happened? They begin to separate. 
the groups that spoke different languages, probably family groups. Some went to live on the coast, and their culture became adapted, and their language began to change. Some went to the mountains, and their culture changed. Some went to the deserts. Some went to the marshlands. And where they went and where they lived and how they made their living and what they did to survive influenced their language and their culture. And they began to diverge more and more and more until we have this huge ethnic diversity that we have on the earth today. And what I put up at the beginning was just a few words out of, a, out of Revelations. Every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. There are people in nation. There's, there's, uh, when you look, when I look at that and I think, what, what, there has to be people from all of these groups. It says there will be. John saw this. There's going to be people from all these groups before the throne. What is unique about that? Are we all going to speak Hebrew? Some people, what language do you speak in heaven? Well, I think that there's lots of languages. Those, when you start studying another language, you find out that there's words. When, when you say, our language teacher in Spanish, when we were, start learning Spanish, she says, you have to get to the point where buenos dias does not mean good morning. It means buenos dias. Because it's not exactly the same. And the, there's a, every language has words that can tend to describe something differently or a little bit better. There's so many facets. English does not have a perfect description of every emotion, human emotion. Sometimes when you know more than one language, you're going along and you're just like, the, lower, the right word is in the other language. You know, and, and it's the almost right word is in English and the right word is in Spanish or what other language, and that happens. Well, I believe that what's gonna, what, when all these tribes and tongues are before the Lord, every facet of human expression, every facet of every language will come forth in praise and worship to him forever. That's what I believe. It's the one that says every tongue and tribe. Because if we're all speaking one language, I think we'll all understand each other. But I think that every facet of human expression will be expressed praise in God on earth and forever. Not going to make a doctrine out of that. I'm just saying <laughs> I think that every, every facet of every human expression, whether in other languages, when you suddenly say, wow, that word, once you get another language, that's the word that really means something that has a meaning that's more correct for what I'm feeling. Well, that, well, that feeling... That praise, that worship is going to express in that language to, to the Lord forever. Well, back, talking about this background, back in 1974, there was a prophetic word given in the very beginning of the Amor Viviente churches, which is the churches we work with. And that part of that word said that from the heart of Central America, which everyone in Honduras understands to be Honduras easily, uh, well, it's right in the middle of the five country, of the five Central American republics. It's right in the middle. From the heart of Central America, light will go out to the nations. That was 1974. There were people there who didn't believe it. There were people there who said, this guy's crazy. There were people there who said, let's wait and see what God's going to do. There was all kinds of people there. But... It was a true word because it's happening. It was a true word because it's happening. Uh, last fall, Mary Lou was in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania for a month, 
getting her her TESOL, uh teaching English to speakers of other languages, her, to be able to be a uh, certified ESL teacher. And uh, so I said, Mary Lou is going to do as an ESL teacher. Well, for right now, she's going to be a support in the School of Missions to <laughs> teach English to our students. But the the uh, the when they visited a church in Pennsylvania, and at the end of the service, a woman came up to them who said she had been a teacher at a bilingual school, Pine Grove Academy, uh, uh, where both of our sons had studied most of their schooling, and in Tegucigalpa back in 1974, and she was a teacher there back when the school was just a school for Mennonite missionary children. And she was at that meeting, and she heard that word, and she said to Mary Lou, I was one of the ones who didn't believe it. Said this could never ever happen in this poor country, the second poorest country in this hemisphere. How could this ever happen? She said, "I guess I have to change what I believe. I guess I'm going to have to believe it now, because you come up here to and, and you know I come to my church and you're here, and you're talking about how God is sending missionaries out from from Central America." So what are we doing? Well. We've established a school of missions. Now, this isn't before we sent out missionaries. This is because we've sent out missionaries. You find that people, we prepare people as well as we can. Our churches have a discipleship ministry that's six and a half years long, six months of basic discipleship, especially for new believers, three years of what we call Christian formation, which is Christian formation to serve, and always trained to serve. And three years of uh, ministerial training, which is a seminary level. It's actually accredited with a hundred seminarity and, and registered with the Honduran government as credits. Uh, so those are those are in all of our local churches have that. So we have this great training program in the local churches to train people to serve. But what we needed was training them to serve in other languages and cultures. They know how to serve, but then they need to know how to serve in other languages and cultures. It's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> for sure. If you've, when you go over for a short trip, you just get a little splash in the face of the other culture. But when you're there for a long time, then you, for any, any length of time, you, begin, you have to adapt to the culture, you have to learn the language, and you have to be able to bring the gospel as good news into that culture without altering the gospel. So we're looking to what we're what, what are we doing? Preparing more workers for the harvest. Lord, how can we prepare more workers for the harvest? Last year we had five students. Uh, three of those would be known to some of you by name at least: uh, Tanya Guerrero, Edgar Arita, and, and Alejandra Romero, which are the three that had been in China before, came back to Honduras. Uh, Tanya and Edgar came back, and and they got married in December. So one of the things that <laughs> one of the things that uh, that the reason they came back and stayed for a whole year in Honduras was to tr test their relationship in their own in their own culture. Uh, you don't want a relationship to be to be based on uh, mutual suffering in another culture. <laughs> <You know>? So, <laughs> uh, so they they they. Uh, but they, but yeah, and so I was asked to do their premarital counseling because the, their both of their pastors said, well, one for Hondurans this was fast. And two, uh, I was the only one who thought they thought could bring the cross-cultural element into it, as since helped them prepare to go back as a married couple to China. So they got married on December fifth, and uh, 
and they're planning right now to go back. They'll be going back to different cities, studying a different school, that we found another school that was a little bit more expensive, but I think it's a better program. And we expect that there, we've seen people at the school they were at that are four years and still don't have their Mandarin up to speed. And uh, Mandarin is a very difficult language coming from Western language like Spanish or English. It's a level four in the military language levels. It's the highest one there is. Uh, and it's a two-year, should be a two-year program. And the military does two years to teach. And I told them, I said, it's your full-time job. You have nothing else to do but learn Mandarin for the first two years. So they'll be going there. We're still waiting on provision. One of our partners, a church in the States that have partnered with us, has not renewed that partnership for this upcoming term. The school's more expensive. So Tanya right now is in Honduras teaching English to the current students for this year's school year. Two of the other students going to Peru. How do we train people? Well, this is a concept that's probably familiar to some of you. Uh, it's called integral training. We concentrate on three areas. We concentrate on character. We concentrate on knowledge and on skills. Now, secular training is generally concerned with mostly knowledge, some skills, virtually no character. Uh, you go to a university, a secular university, they're not so concerned with your character as with your knowledge. Some, school, some schools are, vocational schools are especially concerned with skills, that you can actually do the job. But we believe that actually this is no different from our discipleship training. We're concerned with all three of these areas. In your character, what you, it's the no, be, do model is what it's often called. To know, you need to be, and you need to be able to do. The character has to do with spiritual growth. It's who you are. That's Without any one of these things, the triangle would be incomplete. And without character, the whole foundation of our Christian witness and ministry would be incomplete. We need to have that. Knowledge, understanding, your skills are worked out in work and ministry. Uh, some people are aiming for countries that are only can dif they're very difficult to get into. You have to have a, a skill that that country needs. So that's one. Of, in, last fall, Tanya was in Pennsylvania also and has her TESOL certification, and she can is qualified now to teach ESL and has a paper that she can accredited paper that she can show to the Chinese as a platform for her to remain in China once her student time is over. They don't they don't grant you student visas forever in China. <laughs> They have a certain amount of time. And there's certain areas that are the best places uh, for these to happen. Character and spiritual growth works, happens real well in the community. Knowledge in the classroom and work in ministry and practice. So we have those three elements in the school. We want people to, to uh, with the, the girls live in, live in, in a house. We only had one single guy last year, so he lived with a guy in the church, but he, had, he ate his meals in the same house when we weren't in classes. They, they, you know, interesting things happen when people get together like that. You know, one of the girls, I was talking with them about how things go in the house. This one girl says, I, I have a problem with the way some of the other people wash dishes. I said, what's that? She says, well, when I wash dishes, I stack them in the drainer. All, I put them all in order with the big stuff at the back and the little stuff at the front. And it's all, when I'm done, it's all in order. And she says, other people, they just stack it like however it comes out, they sit it there, and it's all this big pile of stuff, and I'm afraid it's going to fall down. And I said, has it ever fallen down yet? And she says, no, it hasn't. I said, so what's the problem? 
You know? <laughs> if it falls down, they'll have to talk to me because the stuff belongs to the school. But, you know, the, uh, as long as it doesn't fall down and it dries, just live with it, okay? You know? And, and, and uh, so her character is being formed. She's learned to be patient when people weren't exactly like her. <laughs> She's sort of a perfectionist, you know? So, so she was learning to be patient when people weren't exactly like her. And, and uh, so that, w- that was important. And the classroom, it's just uh, we have our classes. We've had people that came down last year uh, with experience in their uh, particular areas. Uh, we've tried to have people who have actually done what they're teaching about come and teach. So when we, had a, we were talking about the different religions of Asia, it was a man who had been a missionary in Asia for 15 years. Lived in Hong Kong, and he's been all over Asia because he was a regional director at one time for his mission. And so he, we, we have people who have experience, you know. Uh, when they don't speak Spanish, I do the translating. Hey, you know, it could be a good opportunity to come down and talk about uh, the needs of, of Bible translation or any other area that you feel like that you'd want to teach. You know, <laughs> come down and teach for a week or two in, this, in the mission school. We're always looking for more people. We're always looking for more people. Not everyone that came down was a missionary, but they all had something to put towards missions. Well, we're back to back to the the Great Commission. And I just want to talk a little bit about what we've been doing here, show you some pictures. But as this is just some slides of the of the classes. As we when we have a class, the students eat together. Uh, they're separated, you know, the single girls and the single, like I said last year, we had one single guy but in, in different living quarters, but they all eat together. We all study together. When, then the practice part, we have teaching modules. We, it's not like a, you know, first hour is English, second hour is grammar. That, not like that. It's, it's teaching module. The whole week or two weeks of a module, that's the only subject they get. So if we're talking about a biblical theology of missions, that's what they're going to get. If we're talking about cross-cultural communication evangelism, that's the two-week course. We're talking about teamwork, unity, uh, and building relationships. That's the course. If we're talking about uh, managing conflict, uh, that's the course. If we're talking about language acquisition, that's what they're going to be talking about. Well, then, after a module, between the modules, they go out to other churches of our churches and work in ministry for one or two weeks, depending on how long the churches have need for them. They learn to work with other leaders. They learn to work under different styles of leadership. They learn to do whatever it is that the church has. If they're going to work with a children's campaign or, or vacation Bible school here, and they're going to work in, in, in street evangelism over there, and they're, going to, and they're going to work with youth in another church, they learn to do all those things. Or the people that were getting to go to Lima, Peru as church planters, I was talking with them, and I said, uh, so what have you, know, you done with youth? Well, we haven't done too much with us. Well, let me just get you an idea here. When you go to Lima to plant a church, who is going to be the youth minister? One of you two. Who's going to work with the youth? Who's going to work with the children? One of you two. Who's going to counsel the married people? One of you two. Who's going to, you know, because at the beginning, it's just those two. They have to do everything until they begin to raise up other people that God will, God will raise up other people, and suddenly they'll see somebody that's gifted in those areas, and things will happen. But at the beginning, they really need experience in all kinds of things. Hey, can you read Spanish there? I think it says... Cultural shock, it says on the blue screen up there. On the <laughs> That's part of cross-cultural communication. And uh, Antonio, who's teaching there, since you can see he's, I'm not translating, is, uh, is actually a Honduran that I've known for, we've worked together for a long time, and he moved to, Hon- to the United States and works for Eastern Mennonite Missions. 
And so he has a lot of experience in changing cultures and language and everything, but he just went from Honduras to the United States. <laughs> but he's a very good teacher. We had a great time. And uh, just different uh, on leadership, different classes, all the different students. And, and we work on, on, on uh, trying to get some of our teachers out into churches, be able to speak, uh, share in a church, so that more people than just the students can have their vision grown for missions. You know, sometimes when you're, when you're uh, that's Glenn, that's the guy who was in Asia. If you, if you can read the board there, he's got, he's got a whole bunch of stuff about Buddhism up on the board. Uh, the, the, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we, we, we got the people there that are going back to Asia, and they're looking at China, and you see China's probably, the, you know, there's such a mix of beliefs in China. It's sort of like, you know, well, it's all good, you know. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people who, don't, who are, would be considered themselves atheists, yet they still believe that they have to do certain things to attract luck, you know. It's all, it, and there's, there's people who say, yes, I'm a Buddhist, but they'll also incorporate anything else that they just find uh, attractive. So it's, it's, it's an interesting mix, but there's... there's the gospel, no matter what the religion is, the gospel is good news in every nation, every culture, to every people around the world. The gospel is good news. You just need to find what, how do you present the gospel as good news to these people? What is their uh, understanding of certain words? Because you can say to a Buddhist in Thailand, eternal life, and we say eternal life, and we think of living with God forever in eternity, and you say eternal life to a Thai Buddhist, and what he's thinking is, that's the worst thing that could happen. Because to him, eternal life, interpreted in his, in his brain, is eternal life is an eternal cycle of reincarnation, meaning I'll never, ever, ever get to nirvana. That's eternal life. That's a bad thing. So you have to say, you, you can't just say eternal life. You have to bring them something to show that this is good news, not bad news. Well, what was Buddha's big question? Buddha's big question is, why is there suffering in the world? That's an easy one. The Bible answers that real quick. <laughs> you know, there's suffering in the world because man disobeyed God. It's called sin. Because the Buddhist has no concept of personal sin. Buddha, Buddhism is a religion without grace. It's all works. Buddha himself said, Buddha himself, now, I, saw, I can talk about Buddhism, and some of you may know a Buddhist, and say, but that's not what my friend, you know, the person I know believes. And it's true. But what I'm saying is true also, because Buddhism has different. <laughs> but Buddha himself said, there is no God or angel or spirit that can help man. Only man can help man. So it's a, it's a works religion. It's a merit-based religion. You go into a Buddhist temple, and there's a hundred pots lined up on one side. And for some, in their mind, it's better to take your coins, of just tiny coins of the lowest worth there is, and drop a few in each pot, then just drop them all in the first one. More merit to drop them. You give a whole bunch of offerings that way. You just walk along dropping them in the pot, and you see people doing that. And we went into the Buddha, a Buddhist temple there where there's this huge reclining Buddha in Thailand. And he's, you go inside. You can go all the way inside up to the heart of Buddha. And as we're going in, some people saw us, and they spoke a little bit of English, and he, they, said, they said, are you going all the way to the heart of Buddha? They said, you must go all the way. It's the most... It's, it's what they were saying was it's the most meritorious place. You get more merit if you go all the way into the heart, which is like behind the chest inside the big statue. 
you know, there's no grace there. All works. So when you say, how, what is the origin of suffering? Well, you go to Isaiah and you talk about how Lucifer fell, how he rebelled against God. Then you talk, come, go back to Genesis and talk about how uh, Eve was tempted and how they chose to, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. Then you say, now, this is the origin of suffering, and suddenly a light comes on. Wait, you mean there's a way out of that? Yes, there is. Because Buddha's idea was no desires means no suffering. Because when you're sick, the reason you suffer when you're sick is because you desire to be healthy. And if you didn't desire to be healthy, you wouldn't suffer when you were sick. That doesn't sound very practical, but that's sort of the way it works. You know. Well, anyways, to get off of that, I want to talk too much about that. But when you've been there, it's kind of interesting. It's amazing. You can see it. Uh, a girl praying at a temple with just the most anguished look on her face and a, a, a little offering of a lotus blossom and some incense and no hope. No hope. So all she needed was for someone to communicate to her what Jesus had done for her and that she had hope and that there was grace. And there was a way out of an endless cycle. It's not an endless cycle. If I couldn't do it, I don't speak Thai. But there are other Latins who have gone there, and they're preparing to go back. And we, we were there visiting some of them. And we want to be involved in helping them get out to where God is sending them. It's always important at the end of every class to pray for the nations. We try to take time at every time of of a class and, and gather around. You can't have a mission school without a map of the world, you know. So, <laughs> just it just shouldn't happen, you know. It should never be. Uh, but we pray to the, we pray for the nations, and we pray for the people, and we pray for the missionaries. I also promote missions in different churches. Get out, talk about different things to, to different churches. I was in Costa Rica. I think that's the picture that's up. Yeah, Costa Rica. Just a few weeks ago, talking with people. And that church has suddenly woken up as far as it's been one of our earlier churches in, 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 in uh, Central America that was established from Amor Viviente in Honduras. But it's always just been the one little congregation. And this pastor that's there now has been there about six years. Their church has grown. And all of a sudden they're saying, wow, we've got to go. We've got to get out to the rest of Costa Rica. So we visited the people in Liberia, which is a, one of the larger towns in Costa Rica outside the capital area. And uh, the capital is like comprised of three cities, San Jose, uh, 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 Alajuela, and Heredia. And then so Liberia is the largest city outside of that area. Um, and so we visited them there. And then we visited a little, t a little place called Tilaran. And it's about 25, 30,000 people. One church, one evangelical church. Probably the building, because we saw it, about as long as this is wide. Just a little building. That's it. And the whole church holds the whole city. And the couple that's going there, we met them there, pray with them there. You know, they're there. They haven't moved there yet. You know, look at the places they were planning on. They had options for moving to. And the, the guy was talking. He says, he says, well, he says, you know, we know that this is going to be difficult. He says, but who said it had to be easy? He says, we know we might suffer for a while here, but if we suffer, we're suffering for Jesus. I said, praise the Lord. This guy gets it. God, Jesus didn't say, it's easy, just go into all the world, it'll be easy. Jesus said, go into all the world. It's not about easy. It's not about comfort. It's about going into all the world. Yeah, I read about, I get a, 
email from there's a friend of ours in India with the, with the Pocket Testament League in India. And uh, Alex, will, uh, his name is P.C. Alexander. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, P.C., of course, is his surname, so Alex. But um, Alex writes, and I mean, they have, they have people in dangerous places in India, people that are suffering persecution. But the gospel will not be held back. This is the 2009 map of the global status of evangelical Christianity. All the greens, all the greens are where there are between 2 to 5, 5 to 10, or above 10% evangelical, the darker the green. All the yellows, oranges, and reds are less than 2% evangelical believers. And I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about evangelicals, people who believe in being born again. Not, not all of Christendom, I should say, Christendom. You take those away... This is the task at hand. Sometimes I show people this and they, I say, somebody, I often get the same thing. I'm going to ask you. It's when you. Before you went out as a missionary, did somebody say to you, why were you want to go over there when there's so much need here? Oh, yeah. I haven't been a missionary yet. <laughs> I don't know if you heard his answer. It was, oh, yeah. You know, I haven't heard of, I don't know a missionary who has not heard that. When they're getting ready to leave, somebody tells them, but why do you want to go over there? There's so much need here. One girl, I said, there's 500 people in your church, right? And she said, yeah. I said, just tell them. Brother, 499 of you stay here to do all the needs here, and I'm going to go over there by myself. You know? <laughs> I could argue against that all day. But, uh, but the thing is, what I want to drive home is and finish, is that the need is not our call. If it was for need, every single one of us have to pack our bags and head to India and Pakistan, which, as you can see, is the most needy place on earth as far as the gospel is concerned. The largest concentration of people who have never heard the gospel is in India and Pakistan, the, the Indian subcontinent. That whole red section there, no church planting. Now, there are areas that there are, and if I could erase the red, you'd see some little yellow dots in there. And... Mongolia is so sparsely populated, since the dots are related to population, Mongolia is so partially, partially populated, you can hardly see the yellow dots in Mongolia. Amazing things happening in Mongolia. In the last few years, there's been widespread church plants in Mongolia. They practice Tibetan-style Buddhism. Now, why that the gospel is taking hold in Mongolia and is not taking hold among the Tibetans in Tibet is a mystery to me. Uh, but I can tell you one thing. Over 100 years ago, the first missionary to Mongolia was Scottish. Very first evangelical missionary to Mongolia, Scottish. He was there for 35 years. Two converts. Two converts in 35 years. I'm amazed that he stayed. I'm amazed that his home mission supported him for 35 years with what we would call no fruit. You know, I mean, the Americans are results-oriented. If it doesn't happen quick, I'm out of here. Obviously, this is not the place to be. How much of what's happening in Mongolia is the result of 35 years of prayer and toil that that man gave his life in Mongolia over 100 years ago? We can't stop praying for the nations. We can't stop going to the nations. We can't stop being involved in every way possible with reaching the unreached. Our... our Motivation is not the need that we can see here. The need is in front of us. Our motivation is behind us. Because Jesus said, go. 
That's our motivation. So when someone says, God's calling us to Lima, Peru, to start a church, he even said to me, he says, I don't know why God's calling to Lima. You go to Lima and there's lots of churches. Why is God calling us to plant a church in Lima? I said, no, no. <laughs> you know? uh, but maybe you're going to plant the first missions-focused church in Lima that's actually focused on, on Peruvians going to the world. It'd be great if you did that. But it's not my job to decide where the Spirit's calling people. So the Spirit calls and places us as he will. That's the need. The motivation is behind us. We have the command. I sum it up all like this. We are saved. They are lost. Jesus has commanded we must go. We all have to be involved. In, you know, you, all of us, all of you here I know, know the, you know, the, the, the go give, pray, or pray, give and pray and go, however people say it. I think that's a little bit, lets people off the hook. I think all of us have to be involved in all of it all the time. The missionary who goes should not stop giving or praying. And the people who are praying should not stop giving or going. Because whether you go to your classmates or whether you go to... China or India or Nepal, you still need to go. We all must be involved in taking the gospel to all the world because Jesus has commanded us. Time to quit. Jesus has commanded us. It's not if we want to. It's not if we'd like to. It's that Jesus has commanded us. But I'll tell you this. When we do what Jesus commands, we find that the blessing is in our life because that's where we find God's blessing when we're doing his will. Praise the Lord. Amen.